The Mini Lives of Christian Dior. Episode 1 Awakening the Senses. At 10.30, with the salons full to bursting, the first model showed the first dress. Very soon, the entry of each model was accompanied by gusts of applause. I stuffed my ears, terrified of feeling confident too soon. This is how, in his memoirs, Christian Dior himself described his moment of glory. February 12, 1947, the day of his very first fashion show, a show that went down in history, a date that made history. As long as I live, whatever triumphs I win, nothing will ever exceed my feelings at that supreme moment. That moment, as he said, was the moment of rebirth, the renaissance of Parisian haute couture, the cradle of which is now located in his fiefdom at 30 Avenue Montaigne, near Le Champs-Élysées. Dior sparked a sense of euphoria in a still battered and bruised Paris. Liberation had given way to disillusion. Bread, gasoline, coal and cloth were all sorely lacking. Coupons and rationing were the order of the day. Misery and anger combined, and discontent rumbled. There was strike after strike. 1947 would be the year of the great strikes. The press, for example, suspended its activity at the very moment when Dior rocketed to attention with this outrageous new look. The new look, an American expression to describe Paris fashion, the latest fashion, Dior fashion. This we owe to Carmel Snow, the editor-in-chief at the time of Harper's Bazaar, and in fact, the voice of American fashion. A revolution that made the flower woman bloom and set fashion spinning. This was the golden age of haute couture, the Dior age, from 1947 to 1957. For Christian Dior, this flamboyance represented a resurgence, a recollection of his childhood. Christian Dior was born in Granville, Normandy, in 1905, on a beautiful day during the Belle Époque, when elegant plumbed women parroted in all their finery. Women such as Madeleine, his mother. Marie-Madeleine Martin had married Maurice Dior, an important industrialist, in 1898. They had five children, Raymond, Christian, Jacqueline, Bernard and Ginette, the youngest, who would become Catherine. And so they lived in Granville. With its casino and seafront villas, it was the Monaco of the North. The Dior family occupied Les Roms, an opulent yet austere residence, perched against all odds on a clifftop, curiously balanced between security and severity. He lived outside the world and in his own world. His first emotional awakening was in February 1910, at the Granville Carnival. He was five years old. For Christian Dior, Granville had pulled out all the stops with its carnival. Floats passing to the sound of a brass band, flowers, colorful costumes. He saw his first fashion show there. I could be amused for hours by anything that was sparkling, elaborate, flowery, or frivolous. 
Christian Dior saw closing differently. To dress meant to stand out. Standing out, dressing up, disguising the wearer. Starting with his friend Suzanne, who would become La Luling, the director of his couture house salons. In 1947, he dressed the Queens of Paris in light, waltzing as the great new look thrilled the world. It all started with the panache ball, giving in the summer of 47. Vive le panache! Christian Dior loved flamboyance and flair. Remember the elegant ladies of the Belle Époque, including his mother, who was its absolute incarnation, and his very first flower women. At Les Roms, Madeleine toiled at the challenge of creating a rose garden on the clifftop. Her son followed her, discovering the language of plants, flowers and roses, as listed in the Ville-Morin-Andrieux catalogues. The little Dior was gentle-hearted, a great dreamer. He imagined himself as an explorer, diving with Jules Verne to 20,000 leagues under the sea. With his heads in the clouds, he gazed upon the Japanese sprints that decorated the staircase climbing to the ceiling, his own 16th chapel, as he used to call it. I look back on my childhood home with tenderness as well as amazement. In a certain sense, my whole life was influenced by its architecture and environment. Purchased in 1906, the house was like the Dior family, distinguished and prestigious. At the head of a dedicated staff, a governess managed the day-to-day affairs and education of the five children. A strict education. Gestures of affection from the two parents were rare, and so each child shaped their own personality in the cosseted confines. And one thing was certain. The family was well off. As a successful captain of industry, Christian's fathers ensured everyone a comfortable lifestyle, very comfortable even. However, while Christian, the second of the siblings, respected the paternal figure, his father's business's activities held no interest for him. The businesses in question were prosperous and based in Normandy. Phosphate mining, the manufacture of fertilizers and chemical products. None of this inspired the young Christian who dreamt of something else entirely. Something of which he quickly became certain by visiting one of the Dior factories. I am sure my horror of machines and my resolve never to work in an office or anything like it date from then. No, Christian would not work in an office. Dior or not, the young boy would make a name for himself somewhere other than in fertilizers. But did he know that yet? And here he is barely six years old, in the living room, curled up in an armchair on a beautiful summer afternoon. It's not the sea we hear, drawn away from the cliff by the pull of the tides, but the soft sound of the wind in the umbrella pines. With a serious air and a wrinkled forehead, immersed since the end of lunch in a catalogue of flowers. Well, it was something other than machines. The flowers, so beautiful, so delicate. The roses especially, his favorites. Reds, whites, crimsons. Christian knew each variety down to the smallest detail. He studied them as much as he relished in them, and this passion for once was something he owed to his mother, Madeleine, who, by the way, was just passing in front of the window. Hello. She was busy with a splendid rosebush outside. 
Christian dropped his catalog to join her in the garden. A sumptuous garden that owed everything to Madeleine. Her garden was a miracle, a splendor perched on a cliff, a decisive element in the aesthetic awakening of her son. He watched her tend to it, diligently and joyfully, loving these shared moments more than anything. Years later, roses remained for him the symbol of maternal love, the definition of grace, the embodiment of womanhood. It's not for nothing that the House of Dior would be born and guided by the influence of flowers, who would also become one of the main inspirations for the collections. Rose essence would also be used in the composition of the house's first perfume, Miss Dior. The tide had risen, and the day began to ebb away slowly. So Christian came in to warm up. He crossed to the ground floor and took the stairs towards his favorite room. Not his bedroom, no, but the laundry room on the top floor, his refuge. Here, Christian felt content, lulled by the popular tunes hummed by the woman working in the house. Until late at night, he could count on their company and observe them sewing. The place I loved more than any other was this fate, was the laundry room. There the housemaids and the seamstresses hired for the day told me fairy stories of devils and sang Hirondelle du Faubourg or the lullaby from Jocelyn. Dusk drew on, night fell, and there I lingered, forgetting my books and my brother, absorbed in watching the women around the oil lamp plying their needles. Life in Granville was charmed and sweet. It could have lasted a long time, but in 1911 came a change of scenery. Business was so good for Maurice Dior that he decided to move the family to Paris. For Christian, it was a shock. The capital instantly amazed him. Its noises and its furry, its horses, its carriages, the imposing crowds thronging everywhere, and whose refinement and elegance he already discerned. The streets were a whirlwind, a whirlwind named the Belle Époque. I thank heaven I lived in Paris in the last days of the Belle Époque. They marked me for life. My mind retains the picture of a time full of happiness, exuberance and peace, in which everything was directed towards the art of living. Far from his native Normandy, Christian opened up to the promises of Parisian life. While animated by the activity of the city, he would never cease to appreciate the calm of the countryside. Later, it was in his secluded house at Millet-la-Forêt that he would develop his collection, far from the very chic Avenue Montaigne. But that was not yet the case. Here a new world was opening up before him. He discovered the Osmanian facades and then the Eiffel Tower, which was celebrating its 22nd birthday. The technical wonder of the Métro as well, which already had 10 lines. The period was one of technical innovations and carefree living, a beautiful and sweet insouciance, <laughs> which, unfortunately, did not last long. Summer 1914. Christian was on vacation in Normandy with his brothers and sisters when the news broke. War is declared. Returning to Paris was off the cards. Viewed from Granville, the fighting ravaging the east of France might have seemed a world away. 
but the town still actively participated in the war effort. The casino was transformed into a makeshift hospital receiving the wounded. Madeleine Dior worked there as a volunteer. The children, on the other hand, were lucky enough to be kept out of it. For 10-year-old Christian, the war was only an echo, a far-off event. It even came with its own advantages, for it enabled the children to escape the adults' permanent supervision. The carnival, naturally, was put on hold. But the distraction remained numerous, and Christian, accompanied by a merry little band of friends, made the most of every moment. Strong friendships were forged. Two in particular would play a major role in his life. There was Suzanne, of course, an exuberant personality, who would manage the haute couture house salons. And then Serge, Serge Eftler Louis, who had the idea of launching Dior perfumes at the same time as the first collection. The idol came to an end in 1918, and Christian, by then a young adolescent, took his first dance steps to the new rhythms arriving from America. With ragtime, the shimmy, and the charleston, the jazz age would infuse his youth. In the aftermath of the war, France was reinvigorated with a frenetic energy. The focus was on turning the page and forgetting the horrors of the Great War. Life was for living again, breathing, creating. It was the dawn of the Roaring Twenties. Christian, not yet 15, was jubilant. He was discovering a new Paris, one overflowing with enthusiasm. Carried away by the heady mood of the time, the young Dior intended to experience his own liberation at the same time. Christian burned with the desire to break free, because he knew only too well the conventional future his parents had in store for him. He, the young man who aspired to something completely different. But this young man was not going to reveal his cards all at once. Christian hoped, instead of fighting, to find a compromise. With so many things to distract me, I cannot think how I succeeded in passing my two baccalauréats. The time had come to turn from a schoolboy into a student. Driven by my love of architecture, I suggested to my family that I should study at the Beaux-Arts. Architecture. This was a discipline that fascinated Christian, and which he hoped would seem serious enough to obtain parental approval. He tried his best to convince them, but had to accept a definitive refusal. His family had other ambitions for him. Madeleine was certain of one thing. Christian would be a diplomat. So he must, therefore, study political science. That's just how it had to be. Inside, Christian seethed. Diplomat? What torment. How to satisfy his intense taste for beauty. What place was there for form, color, and harmony in political science? His disappointment was immense. But Christian capitulated. Agreed. Political science it would be. Deep down, he knew he wasn't done. That his true destiny was not the one being arranged for him, the one imposed on him. Christian knew he would find his way eventually. Once he had become the great Christian Dior, he would also return to the career as an architect that he had failed to have, but which, however, had profoundly marked his approach to the profession of designer. He explained it in his lecture given at the Sorbonne in 1955. 
et elle se construit selon le sens des tissus. Christian gave in, but his future was not yet set in stone. After all, he was still only 18. His adult life was just beginning, and he made himself a promise that it would be spectacular. Even if that meant, perhaps, keeping a few secrets. <laughs> 